1: Happy Wednesday, football fans, and welcome in to another edition of the Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Sines, and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, I will preview Thursday night's clash between the Packers and Seahawks. I will also recap some of Week 10's games and break down a couple of notable storylines from around the league. The Packers interplay with a 4-4-1 record and will be looking to notch their first road victory of the season. While Green Bay has been stout against the pass, they are aware of what Russell Wilson can do to opposing defenses. Packers head coach Mike McCarthy says the Seahawks do a nice job of tailoring their offense to Wilson's strengths and noted his importance to their team.
0: Big play is a big part of his game, and he can make all the throws. Uh, they do a really good job matching their run game uh, to their, you know, their run action and, and, and move, quarterback movement packages. So that really fits his, fits his style. So he's definitely the focal point of that offense.
1: The Seahawks are coming off yet another tight loss and are aiming to get back on track when they host the Packers on Thursday. Seattle has struggled to stop the run the last several weeks. And will now try to slow down Aaron Jones in the Packers' well balanced attack. Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll says Jones's emergence for Green Bay makes Aaron Rodgers even tougher to defend against. They're mixing the running game more than they have in the past. Uh, Aaron Jones is doing a nice job carrying the football, plays, averaging almost seven yards a carry, so
0: that's really a problem uh, that we're concerned about. Uh, that balance makes it harder to, to take your know, plan. To stop stopping and Aaron Rodgers.
1: I will discuss all that and more coming up in the latest episode of the Chase Podcast. The Fall is another production of the Chase Podcast covering the latest news and analysis around the National Football League. Turn term- Line. now let us say to your 20, 50, Isaac 10, fire fire good afternoon football fans it is Wednesday November 14th on the chase podcast Isaac signs coming to you live for some more NFL talk there's plenty of different storylines to get into For today's episode, it is the midweek recap edition of the Chase Podcast. I'll be previewing tomorrow night's game between the Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks. Now, that is an important matchup. Obviously, playoff implications on the line for both teams as they look to stay in the hunt Amidst a tough NFC full of playoff caliber teams. But to get things going first, I always like to give my Week 10 awards. The Week 10 award for most impressive victory. I have to give it to the Dallas Cowboys. This was a team that fell to Washington three weeks ago. They dealt a first round pick to Oakland for Amari Cooper. They dismissed their offensive line coach during the bye week, Paul Alexander, and reassigned Mark Colombo. This is a Dallas team that lost by 14 to Tennessee in prime time at home, which provoked a barrage of questions at owner Jerry Jones about a potential head coaching change. And then you had franchise icon Troy Aikman suggesting that The Dallas Cowboys mirrored in quote-unquote dysfunction and needed a quote-unquote complete overhaul. A team that entered Sunday night's matchup at 3-5, two games below 500. This was a must-win, and they were able to come through in a hostile environment in Philadelphia against their biggest rival in the NFC East. Say what you want about the Philadelphia Eagles and how they've struggled. They've been inconsistent this season offensively on the defensive side of the bowl. They had a lot of injuries in the secondary. So I understand that those things do factor into a Dallas Cowboys victory. But nonetheless, what they were able to accomplish under these circumstances, I have to give them the most impressive victory of week number 10, knocking off The Eagles 27 to 20. Now I'll go ahead and switch to the opposite end of the spectrum and talk about the most disappointing loss of Week 10. And this one is a no-brainer to me. You can talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, and I'll touch a little bit on them later in today's podcast. But I got to give this one to the New York Jets. I mean, how do you lose 41 to 10 to a Buffalo Bills team that starts Matt Barkley, who wasn't even in the NFL a couple of weeks ago or all of last season? He hadn't played since January 1st of 2017, and it took him one game to claim the top spot On the Bills leaderboard with three passing touchdowns in a game. It was the first time in a month since a Bills quarterback threw a touchdown pass. Going all the way back to Nathan Peterman when he did so in week six against the Houston Texans, which was also a loss. Barkley finished with 232 yards, two touchdowns. And 117.4 passer rating. Have you ever heard of a player named Zay Jones? The former second round pick out of East Carolina. Well, he had 93 yards and a touchdown. The best game of his career. Ever heard of Robert Foster who was undrafted out of Alabama in 2017. Who was just promoted to Buffalo's active roster a day before the game. Well, he had three catches for 105 yards. LaShawn McCoy, the veteran running back who hadn't rushed for more than 85 yards since week 13 of last year. Well, guess what? He had 113 rushing yards and two touchdowns. It was their worst loss under Bowles, who's now 23-25 and since taking over in 2015. Now, Sam Darnold did not play. Josh McCown... Got the start as Darnold continues to deal with the foot sprain. It was humiliating for the Jets. I mean, I understand this team is still in the process of being rebuilt. They have a lot of young players on both sides of the ball. But since the start of the 2012 season, the Jets have lost a league high 21 games by 20 or more points. The Titans and Raiders have lost 19 games by 20 plus points and no other team has lost more than 16 in the NFL. It was the Jets' fourth straight loss as they now enter their week 11 by evaluating their coaching staff and reflecting on what exactly the plan is going to be for their organization moving forward. Based on many reports that have come out of New York... It appears to me that the writing is on the wall for Bowles and his time as the Jets head coach. Now the same cannot be said for GM Mike McEgan, who apparently his job is quote-unquote safe by a couple of New York reporters up there who say that ownership is willing to ride him out and see what he can do in free agency with the large amount of cap they're going to have to work with These next couple of years, but that loss was just absolutely gut-wrenching in the worst possible way. And I cannot even begin to imagine how disgusting it was for Jets fans to watch that outing from their team against such an underachieving Buffalo Bills team that was playing with a quarterback... That had not seen game action in over a year. So, for those reasons, the Jets, they have to have had the most disappointing loss of week number 10. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Terrell Austin, who was fired on Monday, the defensive coordinator. I talked about Marvin Lewis a little bit in Monday's episode, so if you haven't checked that out, my High Flyer, Top Denier, and Under Fire, it's a cool segment I like to do. Go ahead and Give it a listen on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. But I just wanted to recap this whole situation. The Bengals parted ways with Austin, which was a day after they allowed 51 points in a loss to the New Orleans Saints. The Bengals are reeling. They've lost three of their last four games after getting off to that hot 4-1 and one start. They're 5-4 now, second in the AFC North with a huge game looming on Sunday against a Baltimore Ravens team that is really in a similar position as far as their head coach being on the hot seat, John Harbaugh, they have their own issues. That should be a pretty interesting matchup for two teams that are looking to joust for playoff positioning. Right now, this Bengals defense... They're on pace to break the 2012 Saints record for most yards allowed in a season and are also the first team in the Super Bowl era to give up at least 500 yards of total offense in three straight games. So that'll tell you the story really quick as to why Marvin Lewis pulled the plug on Austin During his first season as the defensive coordinator in Cincinnati. This is the second straight season the Bengals have fired a coordinator during the season. Prior to 2017, the Bengals had never fired a coordinator during the season in the history of the franchise. Yet in back-to-back seasons, you saw offensive coordinator Ken Zampezi gone after just two games last year. And that leads me to this. Is the main problem rooted with Marvin Lewis? And why isn't he taking more of the blame for these two in-season firings? That's my point here. I mean, Marvin Lewis, sure, the guy's a good regular season head coach. He's compiled 130, 116, and three record through 16 seasons at the helm. Of course, he's 0-7 in the playoffs, which is frustrated many of the team's fans because they're like we're tired of being regular season champs there needs to be a head coach that can come in and not only get to the postseason but win ball games and that type of resume is not what Marvin Lewis is at this point in his career now things could change sure the Bengals can get into the playoffs and win a game and all of a sudden this 0-7 streak is snapped But honestly, it's really difficult to foresee this team getting to the playoffs because I think their problem lies in the hands of Lewis and ownership. Look, this was a team that really could have benefited from a new direction, a new coach to bring in some new energy to a team. And one thing that ownership did take into account was how much these players in Cincinnati respect Marvin Lewis and and how much they... Appreciate the way he relates to them. But this is a production-based business. And if a coach cannot get the job done and cannot get over the hump, then what's the point of bringing him back on a two-year contract extension? I find it hard to believe as to how he can hold on to this job for another year after this. It's just baffling to me how this Bengals ownership has not come out and expressed any interest in going in another direction with the franchise that just seems to be stuck in the mud time and time again. They have way too much talent on both sides of the ball. And I understand any Daltons having a good season under Bill Lazer offensively. They've been able to accomplish some things that they hadn't been able to do in previous seasons But honestly, I feel like they just need to completely tear down their coaching staff, bring in somebody new with fresh ideas, a new coordinator that can come in, diagnose the situation, assess Andy Dalton's strengths, determine if he is what he's looking for in a franchise quarterback moving forward, and then you just start from ground zero. Right now... This is the Steelers' window to contend for a Super Bowl. Ben Roethlisberger is playing at a very high level. He said he wants to continue to play for the next couple years. The Baltimore Ravens look like they could be headed toward a split with John Harbaugh. And Lamar Jackson, it appears, his time as the starting quarterback is coming sooner than many people think. And then you look at Cleveland. That's a promising franchise. Baker Mayfield... They're on the rise. Nick Chubb, John Dorsey's now the general manager. They made a coaching change. You know they're going to be bringing in somebody new. So if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you're looking around in the division and you're saying, wait a second. Would we rather just be sitting in mediocrity and win our eight, nine games a season and maybe sneak into the playoffs? Or do we just want to completely rebuild, reassess the situation, bring in a new head coach? And build it up that way and work towards really being the top contender in the AFC North. And I'm telling you, this division is only going to get tougher as Lamar Jackson eventually takes over. And we've all seen the potential and talent that he has. And then Mayfield over there in Cleveland, who's already showing signs as to why he was the number one quarterback picked in April's draft. And who knows what their head coaching hire can bring to the table as far as getting that offense reaching new levels and heights for the foreseeable future. So what I'm saying is the Bengals, you're stuck. You've made two in-season coaching changes back-to-back years. You bring back Marvin Lewis. Change is needed in order for this team to stop the same output of seven, eight, nine wins a season. It's time to reload and enter a new phase in Cincinnati. Now, for the first time on the Chase Podcast, I want to give my NFL Power Rankings entering week number 11. Now, I'm just going to give you my top five because I could be here all day long talking about top 10 or top 15, top 20. I feel like at this point in the season a number of teams have separated themselves from the crop and can really be considered Super Bowl contenders. And so with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and start from number five and work my way up to number one. So coming in at number five for my power rankings, how about the Los Angeles Chargers, seven and two? They're on a six-game win streak. Philip Rivers is playing lights out. Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, That one-two punch in the NFL does not get the credit that it deserves. Those two running backs are a problem for opposing defenses. Gordon is a workhorse runner. The guy can make it happen in between the tackles, outside the tackles, in the pass game, pass protection. And then Eckler, who is really... A receiver taking handoffs from Phillip Rivers. This guy is a magician out in space. His ability to create separation at the line of scrimmage. High football IQ. Eckler and Gordon. Man, I got to tell you what. I got to rank them in the top three for running back duos in the NFL. And then that defense that's been playing very well without Joey Bosa for the entire season. Who, by the way return to practice today on a limited basis, and the Chargers are hoping to get him back in the lineup maybe sometime in December for the back half of the season and into the playoffs. But going all the way back to the preseason on this podcast, I actually chose the Chargers to win the AFC West because I really believed the talent that they possess on this roster. I believed in what they're capable of doing and then Anthony Lynn who clearly has won over the locker room I had Jason Veradon for an interview and picked his brain about Lynn and the type of leader that he is and he had nothing but high praise for the second year head coach there in LA and so I really like this team I think they deserve a spot in the top five although some people have them on the outside looking in they are a contender in the AFC and I would not want to face this squad, especially when Bosa gets back and he and Melvin Ingram can get back to destroying opposing offensive lines as an explosive pass rushing duo. So, my message to the NFL is beware of the Bolts. This Chargers team is the real deal. So, they are number five in my power rankings, number four. How about another AFC team that's surging at the right time? The Pittsburgh Steelers, 6-2-1. and They, too, were on a five-game win streak after throttling a 6-3 Panthers team on a Thursday night football. As I mentioned previously, Ralph Lisberger is playing lights out. I know this guy got off to a murky start when he threw three interceptions in week number one against the Cleveland Browns. And immediately people started talking about when he was going to hang up his cleats and when Mason Rudolph was going to get an opportunity. But boy, did he shut down all those critics very fast because he turned the switch on and has been performing at a very high level. This offense, even without Le'Veon Bell, James Conner deserves an immense amount of credit. This is a running back. In his second year, he's a physical back, 6'1", 230-pound bell cow running back that takes on contact from opposing players and is not afraid to steamroll people over. And then... You look at his running style, and it's hard not to see a little bit of Le'Veon Bell with his patience that he uses, and then his threat out of the backfield, Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster. You got Vance McDonald, who's been able to stay healthy, and he's proving the type of threat he can be up the seam for this high-powered Steelers offense. And I think I really look at this team, and it's this offensive line That stands out to me more than anything else. The pass protection they provide. Big Ben and getting this run game going. Alejandro Villanueva has been an anchor there at tackle. Pouncy in the center. Ramon Foster who went down with an injury in training camp. He's back at full health. David DeCastro, a mauler there at right guard. That unit is nasty. And that's a formula that carries well into the postseason. And this defense, while the secondary specifically struggled in the first half of the season, it looks like they've moved some pieces around, entering Cody Sensabaugh into the starting lineup. Joe Hayden's been playing well. Then the safety, Tremaine Edmonds, who cracked the starting lineup for last Thursday night's game. He's been an impact player in his own right. TJ Watt, who's having himself a dominant sophomore season, coming off the edge. So I'll tell you what, this Steelers team, I had my doubts about them because of that defense and how much of a liability that they were, but seeing how they've been able to gradually improve the Pittsburgh Steelers, this is a team that should be regarded as one of the best squads in their respective conference and for sure, are the clear-cut front runners to win another AFC North Division title. Now, number three, the Kansas City Chiefs, 9-1. They won their fourth straight game after knocking off Arizona 26-14 on Sunday. Much like Pittsburgh, Kansas City has struggled on defense. However, they're getting reinforcements in waves as they had Daniel Sorensen. They activated him back onto their active roster. Justin Houston, who's been banged up, he's working his way back to full health. And they still are awaiting their all-pro safety, Eric Barry to return, who's been dealing with a heel injury for the entire season. But this offense, words cannot describe how potent of a unit they've been with Patrick Mahomes. He's been an absolute gunslinger. When you turn on Mahomes' film from Texas Tech and you're watching him Shower defenses with 500 yards passing and 50 points on the scoreboard. And then you look at him playing this season in Kansas City, there's not much difference. And I think that speaks volumes because you're seeing a quarterback that is utilizing those strengths at the professional level coming from an offensive system that has not proven to translate well for professional quarterbacks yet. Mahomes, he's a special talent. He's got All the intangibles, he's got a high football IQ, he knows when to get rid of the ball, he makes some incredible throws in tight windows, Andy Reid has been instrumental in his development and growth, credit Brett Veach, their GM who took over after John Dorsey, he really bought into Mahomes and believed in him from day one since they made the trade, sending Alex Smith to Washington then you got Kareem Hunt, who's looking rejuvenated after getting off to that hot start in his rookie season. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins. I mean, the list goes on and on. Kansas City, this is a lethal team. Now, this is a unit that has struggled in the playoffs in previous seasons, but something tells me now with a new quarterback under center and Patrick Mahomes, they could have a completely new outlook especially as December and January rapidly approach. Now, number two here, the Los Angeles Rams, who are 9-1. They bounce back from their only loss of the season and beat the Seattle Seahawks by a score of 36-31. That was a gritty victory over a division rival there in L.A. They lost to the Saints. We saw that a couple of weeks ago and what was a very entertaining game full of ups and downs for Sean McVay's unit, but they're a very well-balanced team offensively. Now, they did lose Cooper Cup, which was a huge loss for them, and that's a slot receiver that had developed some strong chemistry with Jared Goff. There wasn't a lot of slot receivers that were outperforming Cup on a week-to-week basis. Now, Josh Reynolds will step in in his place, but Brandon Cooks, Gerald Everett, Tyler higby the two tight ends, they're going to have to increase their level of performance. And then, of course, Todd Gurley, who leads the NFL in rushing. We all know the type of versatile threat that he is on the ground for the Rams. Jared Goff has been able to put together another strong season. Defensively, they acquired Dante Fowler at the trade deadline. Aaron Donald and Dominican and Sue. Now, Marcus Peters is... Really taking some heat for the way he's been getting picked on by opposing quarterbacks. We saw the big game he gave up to Michael Thomas there in New Orleans. However, this team has rallied behind him. Looks like he put together a better performance against Seattle, and he's still a very talented ball hawk corner that can come down with an interception or a game-changing play at any moment. And then you also have to remember that Aqib Tlaib, who's currently on injured reserve, is eyeing a return in week number 13. So more reinforcements for Wade Phillips' defense. Now finally, number one is the New Orleans Saints, who are 8-1 on an eight-game win streak in NFL High. They dropped their regular season opener to Tampa Bay. But since then, they've been destroying every team they've shared a field with. They completely dismantled the Cincinnati Bengals, 51 of 14 on Sunday. Drew Brees, he's the front runner in my eyes to win the MVP award at 39 years old. This guy is still slinging it like no other in the league right now. Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and you know what? Mark Ingram is back in this lineup while many people didn't think they needed him because they're like, hey, Kamara, this guy's producing on his own, especially all you fantasy owners who own Kamara. I'm sure you were rolling your eyes when you saw Mark Ingram return from suspension. But having Ingram to compliment Kamara, it is just another dimension of problems for defenses because now you're having to game plan for two very different types of runners. Kamara is more of the receiving threat. Quick, one cut back, and then Ingram is more of the power runner, an angry runner at that, who can also make plays. As you saw, he took a screen pass to the house against Cincinnati. Then defensively, they acquired Eli Apple at the trade deadline, hoping to solidify their secondary. Marshawn Lattimore, Sheldon Rankins, Cameron Jordan, and then Marcus Davenport, who's out right now with an injury, who he's shown some flashes of the type of dominant edge rusher he can be. The Saints are hoping to get him back here in the next couple of weeks. This team has it all. Sean Payton has done a phenomenal job coaching this team and putting them in positions for success. So the Saints, to me, they are the best team in the NFL right now. and For that reason, I have them listed number one in my post-week 10 power rankings. Now I'll go ahead and finish out today's episode previewing Thursday night's game between the Packers and the Seahawks. Green Bay will play in Seattle for the first time since the 2014 season and they're coming off a 31-12 home win over the Miami Dolphins in their latest contest that was played on Sunday afternoon. Seattle battled but fell short in a 36-31 row loss to the Rams on Sunday. Now, it's worth noting that Seattle, they are 5-0 when playing on Thursday night, so they do have a track record of success when playing on short weeks. The Packers, they own an 11-7 edge in the old time regular season series between the teams. And I've taken the last three meetings. With that being said, the Packers have not won a road game this year as they're 0-4 away from Lambeau Field. So that certainly is a big factor to monitor Aaron Rodgers. He's hit on 217 of 355 passes for 2,741 yards, 17 touchdowns, and just one interception Aaron Jones is coming on strong for the pack. He's got 73 carries for 494 yards and four touchdowns. It looks like he's starting to emerge as their number one running back, and that is a very good thing for a Green Bay team that has been looking for an identity on the ground. And as for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, he's thrown for... Almost 2,000 yards, 21 touchdowns to just five interceptions. He has 210 yards on the ground. And this guy, he's secretly putting together yet another strong campaign in Seattle. Sometimes he gets overlooked because the Seahawks are not in contention with the Los Angeles Rams. Really opening up such a massive gap there in the West But Wilson deserves a lot of credit for the way he's been able to play behind an offensive line that has been one of the best units in the league this season. They've been the ones to really help this rushing attack that's been stagnant for the last two or three seasons. Now they lead the NFL in running the football each and every week. But look, both of these teams... They're on the fringes of the playoff picture in the wild card race. And it's going to be a tough challenge for either team to make up ground if they lose tomorrow night's game. So on that note, here are a couple of matchups to keep an eye on. Green Bay's 6th ranked pass offense against the Seahawks' 7th ranked pass defense. Now the Packers will be without Randall Cobb yet again with a hamstring injury. So look for Devontae Adams, Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, and Equinemius St. Brown to carry the load for Green Bay. And as for Seattle, Shaquille Griffin, Bradley McDougald, and Trey Flowers, which is a no-name unit. But they have been very efficient when defending the pass. They've been playing very good. This is a, a secondary that uses a little bit of length as they've always been known to do. You saw what they had in Richard Sherman and Jeremy Lane, the Legion of Boom that really has disintegrated, but they still play with that mentality. Press coverage at the line of scrimmage, relying on their pass rush to get after the quarterback. Now, Devontae Adams, this guy continues to evolve into one of the better receivers in the NFL. He has 62 receptions for 787 yards and nine touchdowns. What makes Adams such a unique player for Green Bay is his ability to create separation at the line of scrimmage. He knows the entire route tree, and even beyond that, he knows Aaron Rodgers and his quarterback's tendencies. He knows how to scramble around and get open, find zones, sit down where he finds space, and He's also one of the better receivers. When he gets that ball in his hands, he can turn up the field and make something happen. So Devontae Adams will certainly be a key emphasis for the Seattle Seahawks secondary, trying to limit His production, I don't think you can completely stop him. He's not the tallest receiver, yet he's always scoring in the red zone, and that's a testament to his knowledge of the game and him being such a technician, being able to haul in those back shoulder fades, Great awareness. I'm a fan of Adams. He's a very good receiver. So look for Aaron Rodgers to be looking his way early and often. Don't be surprised to see Ken Norton have a safety over the top just to make sure that Adams is not going to go off for a crazy type of number and accumulating a large amount of yards because that would not be a good formula for Seattle to win this game. But I look at a guy like Jimmy Graham who returns to Seattle. He played with them for the last couple of seasons this guy, I know he's been up and down this year, hot and cold, hit or miss. Some games he shows flashes of, dang, you know, that's the Jimmy Graham that Green Bay gave a three-year, $35-plus 1000000 contract to. And then there's some games where Graham is really just the non-factor. Aaron Rodgers really doesn't look his way, not very involved. But with these injuries, looking at Geronimo Allison being on IR, it looks like Graham is starting to come into a little bit of a bigger role in this Packers offense. So look for him to work his way and don't be surprised to see Aaron Rodgers dial up some offensive schemes and formations to get Graham isolated in the slot against Seattle, trying to use his height advantage to their benefit, especially as they start moving closer into the red zone. Now, how about this one? This one I think is going to dictate... The outcome of this game, the Seahawks' number one-ranked rushing attack against Green Bay's 22nd-ranked rush defense. The Packers are dealing with a bevy of injuries. You already saw players like Kentrell Bryce, who was ruled out, Nick Perry is out. So you know Green Bay, they're trying to find some players that can come in and complement who they already have on the defensive line. You look at Blake Martinez, who leads them in tackles. A guy is a a sideline-a-sideline linebacker. Mike Daniels clearly leading the charge there on the defensive line. In the secondary, no Kevin King. Jair Alexander's been nicked up a little bit. He should be able to play. Josh Jackson's going to have a larger role. So Russell Wilson, while he doesn't have any superstar-type receivers... You look at that unit with Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin and DJ Moore, who's come on strong as of recently. They still have wideouts that can take pressure away from defenses as far as wanting to load the box to stop them. But this rushing attack has been very strong. Dwayne Brown, Jr. Sweezy, Justin Britt, DJ Fluker, and Jermaine Effetti, they've all done a nice job of learning each other's tendencies playing cohesively as a unit and generating push at the line of scrimmage. Now, Chris Carson, who leads the team with rush yards with 497 and two touchdowns, he should be back. He's been dealing with a hip injury. But Mike Davis and Rashad Penny, the rookie, who they took 27th overall, are both coming off a nice game against the Rams. And so they have a nice little running back by committee that they're developing and continuing to put out on the field. So if Green Bay... Cannot stop the bleeding and stop Seattle from getting four to five yards every carry. This could be a long evening for them just because you know Seattle, their whole plan will be to eat up clock, break down this injury-depleted Packers defense some more, and eventually cap it off with a touchdown because, as we all know, the longer number 12 Aaron Rodgers is on the sideline, the better it is for your team's chances to win the ball game. Now when it comes to my predictions, I have a hard time thinking against the Seattle Seahawks. They'll be playing at home. You know, it's a very difficult place to win. CenturyLink with the 12th man factor. The Packers, I think, are just too banged up right now. Too many players that are dealing with injuries. The Seattle Seahawks are a little bit healthier at the moment. I know KJ Wright will not play with that knee injury, but for the most part, offensively, I think... Seattle will be able to get things going early and often on the ground. It's going to set up the play-action pass. Don't be surprised to see Wilson hit a couple of quick strike touchdown passes. I think they win this 27-23. to Look for Aaron Rodgers to have his success down the field, moving the ball at times. But I think this pass rush will do a good enough job with Frank Clark, who's one of the better pass rushers in this game. Bobby Wagner, I think they'll do enough to help win the game and keep their playoff hopes alive as they enter week number 12. Well, there you have it. There's the Chase Podcast Wednesday edition. I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. I will be back here on Friday to break down Sunday's slate of games. I hope you can join me then. Have a blessed rest of the evening, and God bless.